title of the message this morning, Secrets Make You Sick. Now, for some of you in the room, you're like, whoa, that is one intense title. Not to mention the graphic looks pretty intense as well. It's like, damn, blinded, you know. Uh, like, where am I right now? Anyway, uh, hey, we're going to turn our Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. And I just really feel like God's been stirring this up in me lately. And, and here's what I know about secrets. The, the topic of secrets is an interesting one as Americans because um, secretly and deep down, each and every one of us, we love a good secret being exposed. You know you do. You love the drama when you turn on the news, right? I think about throughout American history or even throughout, like, my lifetime, like, what are some of the big, like, massive secrets or, like, the big scandals that have happened because public secrets have been exposed, right? I think about Lance Armstrong and the doping scandal when it came to this, you know, this amazing, like, cyclist and, and the story of him overcoming cancer and, like, winning the Tour de France and, like, all these things, right? And then only to find out that it, was a, it, it all was kind of fake because he was doping the entire time. I think about Tiger Woods and his mistresses, anybody, right? We love that one. That one was on the news for like two years in a row, right? I think about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. These are things that we as the American public, like when it's on the media, like whether you like it or not, like you're eating it up. It's somebody's secrets being exposed. And there's this weird place within us that becomes infatuated when things that were once in the dark come out to the light, and it's really interesting because what I th- what's really interesting about secrets is each and every secret always has this kind of opportunity to stop. There's this moment where a secret continually can live within the dark, or actually it can come and begin to live in the light. There's moments when secrets are kept in our lives where it's like, well, I know I could stop, but but I'm gonna go on. It's interesting, as we gather together this morning, trying to understand what it means to grow in following Jesus and grow in our spirituality, the Apostle John, who wrote 1 John, he writes about the concern of secrets for our lives and the concern for if we're trying to spiritually grow and move in a trajectory towards Jesus, John writes in in this letter, 1 John, and he addresses what this means and the implications of what this means for us in our spiritual walk. As we grow. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And this is what it says. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His son purifies us from all sin. Let's pray this morning as we continue. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that when you see a vision for our lives this morning, not only as a church, but individually, the word of God says, you know every hair in our head. You knew us before we were even in our mother's womb. And Lord, more than anything, Lord, you want for us to live an abundant life as we are living, breathing, created with purpose on this earth. So, Lord, as we choose to be people this morning that walk out of the darkness of our lives, that sometimes areas of our life that we don't want anybody to know about, Lord, as we take that step forward, here's what I know this morning is, Lord, we're putting the enemy of our souls souls in a chokehold when we make that decision, when we choose to be vulnerable people. So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that things would be stirred up in this place and we would understand, each and every one of us, what our next step would look like when it comes to following you 
and to be open and honest people, ready to receive your healing, even in the areas of our life that many times we are ashamed of. But Lord, we're just thankful that there is no shame in you, Jesus. Lord, but you love us enough to care about sometimes the areas that we want no one else to know about. So Lord, would you just bring healing over this place this morning as we as a church community grasp this idea and the encouragements that you're bringing with it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen, amen. One of my mentors and and former pastors uh, used to always use this phrase. He would say this, where there is light, there is life. Where there is light, there is life. I love what what the Apostle John writes in this letter. Because he's he's making this interesting kind of comparison about walking in darkness. And that when we are people that walk in darkness and don't embrace the light and the life that God has, we're not walking in stride with the potential of what Jesus has for us and the abundance of life that he has for us. I'll say this, you can be a person not walking in stride with Jesus with your salvation intact. You can be a person that understands that God's grace is so massive and that his grace has forgiven the greatest mistakes of your life. But God's concern is for the trajectory of your life. What direction is your life headed? Many times the word in the scripture that's used to describe the direction of our lives is the word repentance, which literally means turning away from that which is pulling us away from Jesus and running towards the things of him. You see, many times the trajectory of our life is the thing that's being confronted. What direction are we headed in? And where are, and who are we being led by? And I'll just say this this morning. I think the greatest proof that Jesus is real is when we see Jesus do magnificent, miraculous, powerful things in other people's lives. When ordinary human beings begin to exercise extraordinary things simply because Jesus is real and he's doing deep and miraculous healing and big, powerful things in our lives. But is there an obstacle that's in the way of that type of change? Is there an obstacle in the way of that type of testimony of healing in which God maybe wants to do in your life and in my life? Could hidden secrets kept in the dark be in the way of that change and be creating a sickness within us that creates an obstacle for us to continue to grow in our life and deeply in our faith? And this question brings up the idea of us as a community and us in our spiritual walk. If we're not walking with Jesus in terms of this season of our life, if we're not allowing everything to be in front of us in terms of what Jesus wants to minister to, heal to, bring complete and utter healing to in our entirety of what it means to be a human being, if we're not going in stride with him, then who are we going with? You might be a person in the room this morning, you're like, I think I'm a bad person. You may be a person in the room this morning, you're like, I think I'm a really, really good person. I don't care, like, whether you think you're, you're a really, really bad person, you think you're a really, really good person, you're either going with Jesus towards his purposes for your life, or you're not. You're there walking in stride and in a relationship in which God desires with you so deeply, or maybe you're in a season maybe where you're not. We're either headed towards the light 
or we're heading into the dark. We're either going towards, <laughs> I got this picture in my head as I was preparing for this message. Halloween's coming up, so naturally I'm like thinking about like creepy, dark, old, cobweb-filled houses, right? So bear with me this morning, right? You know, I'm having all these things in my mind. Darkness, when I think about that, I think about, you know, like the, 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 the creepy house in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? And like no one in their right mind wants to go towards that thing, right? There's like been movies built on this idea, right, of like that house in that neighborhood, that's creepy. But it's interesting because when we keep things in the dark, it's almost like we're running towards that creepy house. And who knows what's in there? Spiders that you didn't even know existed. Cobwebs hitting your mouth because you forgot to keep your mouth closed, right? There's all of these unexpected things in there that we, we don't desire. But we're headed in a direction towards the darkness, the unexpectedness of what lives within our life when we head in that direction. In the creepy house, of course there's no windows for light to come in. Of course every door is nailed shut. But see, when we go towards the life that I believe that God has for each and every one of us, it's like breaking through the shelter of that dark place. It's walking outside and being refreshed by the light that comes and is brought. Maybe where you're living in a place for so long and you see that light at the end of the tunnel that's drawing you, that's pulling you deeper and closer to the potential of saying, what would life look like if I saturated it in the light and the goodness of God? See, each and every one of us is going to define it differently this morning. What is your it? What is that area that you're like, I don't want too many people to know about that going on in my life. Here's what I know about God. He's a relational God, and he cares so much about you and your life that he wants to bring healing to that. He wants to go deep in those areas that many times, because of our own shame, not God's covering of our shame and forgiveness, but our own ideas of shame that many times we want to cover those things, much like Adam and Eve did. When sin entered the world and in the garden it says they were aware of their nakedness and they tried to cover themselves up. See, before sin entered the world, their nakedness and who they were and in the perfection of the world, there wasn't any shame that made them feel like they needed to cover anything. But shame drives us to be people that say, God, I don't want to be open and maybe fully vulnerable with you. So what is it for you this morning? And here's what I know about the devil and the enemy of our souls. Whatever it is, he wants it to stay a secret. The enemy of your souls is going to do whatever possible for you to never get the full healing and experience of what it means to chase after Jesus during your lifetime. He wants to lie and speak lies over your life so those things never come out into the light where there's refreshment, where there's openness, where there's complete and full healing. So this morning, we're going to quickly do this. We're going to look at three lies, and we're going to speak truth and combat those three lies of what the enemy wants to speak over our lives so that we create compartments of our lives and don't keep them in compartments, but actually live vulnerable lives so that we can literally just punch the enemy, the devil, the enemy of our souls. We're going to punch him hard in the face this morning. Is everybody okay with that? Come on. Okay, three lies. Here's the first lie this morning. Lie number one is this. Keep the secret. You know God will forgive you. What's interesting about the way that the enemy lies many times is he uses pieces of truth and then he manipulates them. 
This week in my devotions, as a church in our devotional reading plan, uh, we read through, we're reading through the Gospel of Luke, and the temptation of Jesus came up. And I think about that moment in the temptation of Jesus when the devil threw Scripture at Jesus and, and used Scripture for him to jump from the top of the temple and show that angels were going to catch him. But how many of you guys know, even though that's the truth of the scripture, Jesus combats the twistedness of that lie and combats it with his ultimate truth. It says, I'm not going to put God to the test. See, here's what we need to understand about this first lie. Let's talk about the truth in this first statement. Let's get that back up on the screen here, that first lie. The truth in this statement is God will forgive you. God forgives you. Every sin. Think of the most horrific act a person could ever commit. God's forgiveness and His grace is big enough to cover anything. I don't care what kind of sinner you think you are walking in this morning, but God's grace is bigger. God's covering is so much greater. God's vision for your life is so much greater that goes beyond your own human comprehension. God's forgiveness is big enough to cover anything. But how many of you guys know that consequences for certain sins give you different types of results, which is unfortunate because when we make mistakes in a sinful world, sometimes we have to pay the unfortunate effects of the consequences because of our imperfections, our mistakes, the fact that we aren't God ourselves and we fall short from God's perfect standard. You may be a person that walks into the room and you have a God complex and you don't even know it because you think that you're perfect. But let me tell you this morning that you are imperfect. That you have failures yourself and each and every one of us live our life and have a different deck of failures that we sometimes have to come to grips with when it comes to the consequences for our sin, for our imperfections. The effect it has on your soul and your relationship with Jesus manifests differently. How you get back into relationship with God is going to look differently based on the mistake and the consequence that you make. You see, this is just common sense type of stuff. When we begin to blanket things like all sin is the same, I get it because God covers it all, right? It creates a distance between you and your relationship with God, but you are on a unique journey, and the way you establish and get back into relationship with God is going to look different from the person on your left and on your right, The common denominator in our sin and our imperfections is it creates a relational distance from Jesus that you and I are going to have to navigate differently to get back into relationship with him. And here's what I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You and I are going to make mistakes. You and I are going to get to experience the grace of God many times in our life. But the posture of the Apostle Paul says this. He says, even in the midst of knowing that God will forgive you, we never should take an intentional posture where we deliberately burn through grace. The the posture of the follower of Jesus says, In the midst of my imperfections, I am not going to live in a place where I'm deliberately burning through grace. And how many of you guys know we burn through grace in all different ways? Every time I get up here and preach, this is the Monday after the Sunday, right? I'm like, 
Lord, I burned through a lot of grace yesterday. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 I can't do this on my own. And I know you stepped in there, and sometimes you don't, and then people get mad. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just the reality of it. But there's times where I'm like, that wasn't me, and I burned through a ton of grace. Like, we sense that in our lives. We're like, man, burn through a lot of grace on that one. But the Apostle Paul's like, hey, wait a second. Don't deliberately do that, though. Like, if you have knowledge of an area of your life that you're trying to manage and keep secret, like, don't deliberately burn through that grace. That's going to lead your life in a trajectory that's not going to be helpful for your spiritual flourishing and what your life purpose is meant to be in the vision that God has for you. See, there's a difference in our attitude. Some of us will say, well, I accepted Jesus into my life, his grace, his forgiveness. My sins are forgiven, so now I can do whatever I want and still expect heavenly results. No! Not going to happen. Because there's this posture that God wants us to take that says, you're going to burn through grace. There's going to be some ignorance in just who you are as a human being along the way. But if there's an area of deliberate sin, secrecy in your life, it's time to just, it's time to hit that head on. It's time to confront that. It's time to start taking that area of your life more serious. I love the way the author of Hebrews puts it in chapter 10, verse 26. He says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. You might be like, what are you talking about? You just said that grace covers every single sin. Here's what I'm saying. If sin isn't a big deal to you, there's no point for the sins to be covered. If you don't believe that sin, your sin is a big enough deal to be covered by the grace of Jesus. And you think about your sin, your imperfections, and you're just kind of like, meh, grace covers it. Meh. That's just a trajectory that God's like, that's not what I have for you. Figure that out. Process through it because there's things on the other side of that healing and that abundant life that he wants to bring. Of us bringing all that we are before God and inviting healing in. See, God doesn't want your sin to be out there for everybody to know about, but he wants it to be out there in a place where you can experience healing. And what does that look like as we continue to process this? The author of Hebrews so eloquently shows us this idea that there's no need for a sacrifice if your sin isn't a big deal. What's the point if we're thinking, you know what, this isn't that big of a deal that I'm imperfect and I have no desire to grow or become more and more like Jesus. See, the enemy of your soul wants you to live in the dark. And when you live in the dark and you head in a trajectory towards that creepy house on the block and you clothe yourself within that type of a structure and that type of an environment, you can't see yourself in the mirror. You start to lose yourself. You don't even know if you're looking at a mirror. You don't have the capabilities in your environment to even see or identify the imperfections of what is happening in your life. You can't see what your life is becoming. And God cares so deeply about that trajectory. He doesn't want you to get to a place where you can't even see yourself and identify. That's an area where God wants me to change. See, that's the first lie. Anybody ready for the second lie? It's fine. Here we go. We're going to keep going. Come on. Okay, lie number two up on the screen. Here we go. Lie number two. Keep the secret. Keep the secret. Because you have control to stop someday. 
someday syndrome. This is a big one for us. We set goals, or actually we really don't set goals because we attach the word someday to those goals. Someday goals never happen. Someday vision for your life never reaches fruition. Someday syndrome is something the enemy of our souls wants for your life so deeply. He doesn't want you to flourish. He wants the someday ideas to always exist there so you never become who God wants you to become. And here's what I know about areas of our life that many times we want to keep secret. We're continually participating in secrecy and we're lying to ourselves and saying, well, I have control of this. Got this little area compartmentalized over there and I, I got control of it. But you're lying to yourself. Because you think you're able to manage this secret, but you don't understand that this secret actually is controlling you. This area of your life is dominating you. It's dictating everything. It's dictating your, the trajectory. You know, there's a real, in, in conversations such as these, I think in church environments, we like, kind of like get kind of puckered up a little bit, right? Because we're like, ugh, and there's this word that many times gets introduced called purity. And purity is one of those words, it's just like, don't say that word. That word just makes people feel icky because many times the word purity has been abused and is taken like a, taking a Bible and just slapping somebody over the face with it and being like, well, Jesus loves you. Hope your face feels good because I just hit you with the word of God. Purity is this word. Let me, let's define this a little bit. Purity, the biblical word for purity represents this word that means being without mixture. Being without mixture, meaning this. My parents came and visited this week. And one of the things that we do to try to love on them and bless them is always to have uh, things prepared for them to be a good guest, to be hospitable, right? One of the things that they love, that they're the type of people that always just have bottles of water wherever they go. They're just constantly drinking water. You know what I mean? Like, some people, like, have, like, the, the bottles to go. Like, you know these people. Some of those might be your, you people. Uh, I'm not judging you. I'm just kind of stating observations here, right? Um, anyway, but we thought, hey, one way we bless them is we buy bottled water and just stock our fridge with that, right? But if you look at a bottle of water, its label says this is pure water, right? It's usually the ingredients are like water and minerals for taste or whatever, right? And then they have all these people that argue about which is the most pure. Whatever. You know, we bought bottles of water. But the, the idea is this. Is if you were to open that bottle of water with the label that says it's just water, it's purified water, maybe with some minerals to change the taste. And, you, and I took some dye or like a drop of food coloring and I dropped one little drop in that bottle, it would not be purified water anymore, right? This water would be inconsistent with its label. See, and this is the powerful thing about being people without mixture, being pure people, is that when we become people that are like, Christian, labeled, Christian, I go to this church, that church, and then we live a life that's inconsistent with the label, it doesn't help anybody. We begin to label ourselves and people see right through it. Because they're like, I know who you are. You've compartmentalized and you think everybody else understands that you're not that. You're lying to yourself believing that people don't know I'm inconsistent with my label. And I can do whatever I want. Nobody's buying it. And you're the reason people are like, I don't want to go to church. Because you're a hypocrite and you're not even humble about it. You want to know what the solution to hypocrisy in the church is? Humility. Coming before God and saying, I know I'm the biggest sinner that I know. Pastor knows as he walks in here, I'm the biggest sinner that I know. I'm the biggest sinner that I have relationship with. So what gives me a right 
See, that changes everything. And and when we live a life of purity without mixture, we're inviting ourselves to be people that say, I'm identifying there's some areas in my life that I think I can manage, I think I can keep a secret, but we're humbling ourselves and saying, I'm not fooling anybody, and especially, I am not fooling God. He knows. He knows. And if he knows, and I'm labeling myself with his label, and I'm thinking I can out lie God, what are we doing? But God cares enough to address that very label. Romans 8, Paul, Paul goes on in Romans 8, chapter 8, the apostle Paul, and he writes this, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. But those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Jesus is like, you're not the captain of your secrets. You're not the captain of managing the areas of your life that maybe you don't, you're not proud of. (laughs) Your secrets are actually managing you. They're, They're actually the captain of your life. And he's saying, would you live, would you live by the spirit? Would you, would you go into the direction of the spirit of God that's being led by you? Don't, don't let the captain of your life be the secrets. Let the captain of your life be the spirit of God, which leads you in a direction towards life, where there's life, where there's abundance, where there's healing. So God cares so much about you that he cares about the deepest areas of your life that he wants to get a hold of and bring healing and allow you to live a powerful, overcoming life that's going to be attractive to other people because in the midst of the humility of your own brokenness, you're going to be able to share stories of overcoming, real-life stories about how God is truly real in your life and that this isn't a fairy tale story, but the resurrection of Jesus is one where that resurrection power gets invited into the healing and the profound sense of God's grace in your life that is so attractive to other people. The enemy of your soul, want no- soul wants nothing more than to, for you to live in the dark. And here's the thing. You can get comfortable in the creepy old house with boarded up, windows, nailed up doors, right? You can get comfortable. You can think, you know, this environment, I got this. And then before you know it, you didn't see the floor, the hole in the floor in front of you, and you fall into it. And then you're in a place you never expected. Why, God, why? When really you set the stage for that pitfall in the beginning, and God's been trying to get your attention the whole time, but maybe you haven't taken that journey serious. Some of you in the room, you've got a broken leg because you've fallen in a pit. And God's being like, I was there the whole time. I loved you so much. I've been trying to pull you. I've been trying to get your attention. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is he's going to be the one that heals that broken leg. That heals you in the midst of that situation where you're like, I don't even see a way out. See, Jesus is so great. His healing is so great. His grace is so big that he's willing to go deep down with you into those areas that you never expected to be. That's how beautiful Jesus is in his relationship with you that is constantly pursuing you even when you are headed in a trajectory away from him. He's pursuing you. He's tapping on your shoulder. He's working when you're asleep at night. He's coming after you. But are we being led by the Spirit of God to be awakened to those areas where God's saying, I want to go deep? Last lie is this as we close this morning. It's lie number three. Keep the secret. 
Nobody has to know. Nobody has to know. I think about like, it's like theology according to Tupac, right? Any hip-hop fans in the room? There's going to be like two of us, me and Donnie. Okay, great. Love you, bro. Right? Tupac, right? Like, only God can judge me. Like, that was like one of his big quotes, right? The problem with that idea about God is we forget that the biblical God, if we're going to base it on the biblical God, is actually community. In his very nature, Father, Son, Spirit. So God never does anything in isolation. Because when a person proclaims, well, only God can judge me. Yes, once again, there's truth within that. But we're devaluing the nature and the character of God. That God desires community because he is community. Father, Son, Spirit. You look at the baptism of Jesus and you see the nature of God. Three persons, one God, right? Jesus is being baptized. The Holy Spirit comes and falls on him like a dove. Out of, out of the clouds, the voice of the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. See, God and the biblical God is three persons, one God. It's hard for us to grasp this idea in which many times people have described as the Trinitarian God, the Trinity, right? But there's something so profound about the nature of God and why he made his church the way he made it to be. It's because God does not desire us to be alone. Even in the garden, before Eve was even created, Adam was alone, but he wasn't alone. Because God was with him, and he was complete, and he was fulfilled. And he decided, I'm going to bring a blessing, right? See, in the nature of God, we have to realize this, is we are not created to be people that do things in isolation. The trajectory of God's plan for us is he created this beautiful community that is in likeness of his nature called his church. The local church, the church of Jesus, is the fullness of his body. He is the head and we as imperfect people are, are people that get to partner in community with his healing. The church is the embodiment of Jesus. Meaning this, your healing, your processing isn't meant to be processed in isolation. God had a vision for the way that you would find healing. It is through the grace of God, but it is through relationship, community, and relational intimacy in this thing called his church. The embodiment of Jesus himself. See, we want to live lives where it's like, once again, like I can have my church life like Sunday and then Monday through Saturday. It's kind of like burning grace. But Jesus is like, no, wait, we're trying, to f we're trying to mesh those two ideas together. Like not church life and everyday life. Like church and everyday life combined crashing like heaven crashes into earth because of what Jesus has done for us. See, that's the vision Jesus has for our life. Not to compartmentalize, not to be like, I could be this person here, facade over here, blah, 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 and never actually get to know anybody. But Jesus, his vision for his church is like, we're going to go deep in community. We're going to deal with each other's mistakes. We're going to build relationships and have people to lean on, even in our darkest moments. See, like, we're not playing games here. Like, Jesus is like, this is the vision I have for my church. Don't sell yourself short of the vision and the plan God has created as his church as a part of your healing journey. You are a part, by sitting here this morning, are a part of the embodiment of Jesus. One that says, don't like, just zip out of the room immediately and compartmentalize, but get to know the other human beings created in the image of God that you're sitting to your left and your right with. Because they're going to actually be a part of your healing journey. Because if they're committed to go on the same trajectory you are, they're going to be there to help you, push you, 
push your life in a direction towards Jesus' healing and wholeness that God has a vision for your life for. See, sometimes we, we compartmentalize. And then we're like, I just wonder why people just call me a hypocrite so many times. Because we haven't learned how to mesh those ideas together. Because here's what I know. A good friend is a good friend who's going to call you out on your stuff. And if you live in isolation and no one's doing that for you, everybody else is aware of it. We've got to build friendships and community with people that actually care about the trajectory of our life. And whether we're spiritually headed towards Jesus. Luke 12, 2 says this. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Once again, we can't be managers of our secrets. God knows there will be a day where ultimate judgment comes to pass and everything's going to be out there in the open. Are you a person that's ever got caught doing something you weren't supposed to do before? Of course. We all were. I think about like one of the earliest moments that I can think of. Um, I was at an airport with my parents. This was pre-9-11, so it was like, it was like a party in the terminal. You know what I'm saying? Like, anybody remember this? Like, have you ever been to, like, pre-9-11, there wasn't all these, like, security, like, things, like, that we have now because of just safety concerns. But I just remember, like, it was just like, hey, like, we're saying goodbye to my stepdad who's going on a work trip. Like, we all come in and say goodbye as a family together as he walks on the plane, right? So we're in one of those kind of types of settings. I grew up in Seattle. So we're at SeaTac Airport. And I'll just never forget it. Like, I was, like, five, six years old, and I was sitting there in the terminal, and, like, somebody over the speaker was like, um, uh, Debra, Debra, uh, we need you to call zero on the nearest payphone. We need you to call zero on the nearest payphone. And I don't know what compelled me in my five, six-year-old body to be like, I, I know my name's not Debra, but like, I'm going to go do that because I'm kind of curious about the content of that conversation, right? So I get over there, and I get on the payphone, and I hit zero, right? And I pick up the phone, and it's like, Debra, Debra, is that you? We have an emergency, Debra. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this just got real, right? And I hang up the phone, and I just kind of, like, waddle my way back to where my mom was sitting because she's, like, reading a magazine. I don't know what my mom was doing. Mom, if you're watching live right now, I'm judging you right now, right? As I tell this story. No, I love my mom. Um, anyway, so all of a sudden, it's like, okay, that's my secret. Like, why did I do that? I don't know what compelled me to do that. And then all of a sudden, like, down the terminal, I see a fully uniformed police officer start walking the corner. And slowly, like, as he gets closer to me, I can see him questioning people in their family, like, pointing to the phone. And I'm like, oh, my God. My heart's racing, right? Ooh, it was like, literally, I was like, Jesus walking towards me, like, oh, like, he's going to judge me as the ultimate judge. Finally, it gets over, and, and this, you know, this police officer, he's so polite. He's like, ma'am, uh, we had somebody who actually answered the phone over there and it wasn't the person we were trying to get up. Do you know anything? And like simultaneously while this conversation is happening with my mom, I'm sitting next to my mom and all of a sudden, you know, I just start crying. I start bawling. Like, it was me. It was me. It was like the secret, right? I had this secret for like 10 minutes that like the shame, like the guilt, like the me, as like, like this story, this event in my life is like ingrained in me because I was a kid and this was like one of those first experiences I had with like trying to keep or do something that I know I wasn't supposed to do and I didn't do that great of a job of managing it because I was a kid. But this is the problem with us is we grow up, we mature, and we become people that are like, yeah, I lied, I'm keeping a secret. And then the shame comes and the, okay... But then we trick ourselves. We have a full-blown judicial law system built to filter through whether people are actually telling the truth or not. 
See, as kids, many times our conscience is in a place where it's like, I just need to come clean, right? But as adults, we begin to live the lie. We begin to trick ourselves. Believe that we're really good at this. Believe that no one else has to know to the point of we have a complete judicial system set up to filter through attorneys locked and loaded to figure out whether someone's telling the truth or not. See, as adults, we've complicated this. This is why Jesus says such things as like, I desire you to have childlike faith. Because as adults, we absolutely complicate our life by thinking we're smarter than God, by managing our sin in such a way that says, well, God, I got this. I'm going to coddle this. Not realizing that beast has a hold of you and your life. Sin doesn't ruin a follower of Jesus. Secret sin. Sin doesn't ruin a follower of Jesus. Secret sin ruins a follower of Jesus. Because when we keep our sin a secret, we process it alone. We process it away from God. We process it away from relationships in the community that was built as the embodiment of Jesus to help bring and manifest healing in our lives. I think about the gifts of the Spirit in the Scriptures. God is the giver, but God uses us as the vehicle. Why would we isolate that from healing? Why would we isolate in our faith? Well, me and God will work this out, just us. When God's saying, no, wait a second, I built my church. It's the embodiment of me, and it plays a part in your journey, in your process. See, the enemy of your soul wants nothing more than for you to live in the dark. He wants you to live in that creepy old house in the neighborhood, not being able to see the blind spots, not being able to see the arrows in your back, that you need somebody else to come and help you grab that arrow and pull it out. You see, when we're living in isolation, we're living in the dark, we can't see the wounds that we have, we're somebody that wants to carry, have a real deep relationship with you as, as somebody that cares for you, sees the, sees, sees the wound on your arm and, and is the one that goes and grabs the band-aid. See, but when we live in the darkness, when we live in isolation, when we live in a place where we can't even see our hand in front of us in darkness, we isolate ourselves to even have community where people are able to identify the arrows, pull them out of your path, identify where the wounds are and begin to help medicate, bring healing into relationship with us this morning. This morning, here's, here's my prayer. However you related to this this morning, whatever spoke to you, my prayer is that this, is that we would stop living a lie. We would stop living a lie. We would identify the areas in our life that maybe we're not very proud of, but we would start head on a trajectory towards healing. Luke 13, 3 says this, it won't be up on the screen, but I love how the section of Luke says everything's going to be revealed and continues on. He says, you'll perish unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. See, Luke's identifying the trajectory of your life matters. Where are you headed? Who are you going with? What direction currently is your life headed towards? Is it in stride with Jesus, inviting healing? Inviting community, or is it 
in a way that's walking away from maybe the plans and the purposes and the healing that he has for you. My prayer would be is that we would make a decision this morning to be headed on the trajectory of running back toward him. Can we pray this morning?